James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Know this, trials will rise, right? And your faith must also rise just beyond head knowledge. It has to rise beyond just speech to meet those trials. This is what James has been showing us over the past few weeks. You have seen that your faith will encounter trials of various kinds. Live life long enough, they will come. Trials of poverty, there are trials of wealth. And it's going to take wisdom from the Father through his spirit to help get through those trials, to empower you to face those trials, to be able to see life through the lenses of faith. That trials are given to test and strengthen your faith so that you can have endurance, so that you can have steadfastness. As one Christian says, trials are the university of hard knocks. And all believers are enrolled and you can't skip any classes. (laughs) You can't drop any classes. You have to endure them. James says in in verse 12, Blessed is he who remains steadfast under trials, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This verse is is James' concluding encouragement to you that, that when you go through trials in life, be encouraged. You're blessed if you endure. It's a beatitude. Happy is the man who remains steadfast. Why? Because in the end, after you've stood the test, you receive the crown of life, which is what? Eternal life, which awaits all of us who have saving faith in Jesus. You are to never lose sight where or where you're headed as a believer. Never lose sight of where you're going, because you're going somewhere, and that place is on the other side of this life. And so we move forward. Now, there's one last thing James needs to deal with before he completely moves on from this discussion. And you're like, well, what could that be, Alex? The role of temptations. I know what you're thinking. There's more? Come on, James. I I thought things were starting to get better for me. I was starting to understand trials. Now you're telling me there are temptations? How do I make sense of that? What's the difference between the two? Are they the same thing? How do I know when I'm in a trial? How do I know when I'm in a temptation, James? So if you're worried, don't don't be too worried. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to answer some of those questions today. So here's God's word. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Blessed is he who remains steadfast in the trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has, been, has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, 
whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of fresh fruits of his creation. This is God's word. Pray with me. Father, this time is not about me. Preaching is not about the pastor. It's about Christ. Life is about Christ. And so, Lord, as we come to to your word, move me to the side. My pride, my ego, things that can get in the way of the spirit moving here. I need humility. I need to be, I need to decrease and he must increase. I need your spirit to move mightily, to take the word of truth and apply it to my heart and my life and to the life of everyone that's here. We all need a word of truth. We all have something in our life that, that, that needs the word of God to, to be spoken into that situation. Spirit, you have to do that. We, we can't do it without you. You are a helper. You are a counselor. And we need you to move in and through us today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Your faith will encounter temptations. And when it does... Who are you going to blame? Don't blame God. This is the first thing James wants us to understand when our faith encounters temptations is that we can't blame God. If you see life through the lenses of faith, then you won't blame him for your temptations. James says, don't blame him. That's a strong negative command he's giving you. He's prohibiting you and forbidding you for pointing the finger at God. You're the reason, God, that I failed. If you had done this, God, then I wouldn't have done that. See, we all have a natural tendency to blame him for our failures. You see, temptation here is it's referring to a person who is tempted to sin. Whether it's through pride, anger, lust self-righteousness or whatever it is, it's, it's something that's bent toward you, moving away from the Father, going toward your selfish desires. So James said, you are never to blame God for that while you're in the midst of temptation. God is not the agent. He's not the source behind it. God cannot be tempted with evil. He cannot be tempted with evil things. This means he is not liable. He is unable to be tempted. You know, he, he has a no solicitation sign on his character when it comes to that. He cannot be solicited to sin. Unable to. What does First James 1.5 say about our God? God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. At all. You have to see that, that, that God and sin are, are totally over here. They, they, they're never going to be like this. He's never going to be like this with evil. He's never going to be like this with sin. One Christian says, while God may test and prove his people, 
in order to strengthen their faith, he never seeks to induce them to sin and destroy their faith. Never would do that. The father is not going to tempt his own kids to sin against him. It goes against his nature. Is that something a good father would do? Can you call God good? What was that song about? If he is the one that tempts you to sin against him? That song is a lie. If he does that. No. It will go against his very nature and character to do such. You see, what impacts your understanding of God here is your view of him as father. This is something we already have talked about a few weeks ago. Something we already talked about. Because your view of God impacts your understanding of how he works. If he's an evil dad, then guess what? He's going to do evil things to you. What did a serpent get Eve to question before she ate the fruit in the garden? What did he get her to question about God? The same thing he gets us to question. Did God really say? Did God really say you shouldn't eat from that? He got her to question his goodness. His word, his trustworthiness, his character. Did God really say those same words would be whispered to you in those tough moments of life? Did God really say he has your back? Did God really say he would not put any more on you than you could bear? Because it looks like he's doing it to you right now. Did God really say He'll never forsake you. Did God really say you can cast all your cares and burdens upon him because he cares for you? Did he really say he will comfort you in all your afflictions? In this life, you will be tempted to question his goodness. You will. And you'll be tempted to sin against him and you'll be tempted to blame him for your temptation. All people are highly skilled players when it comes to playing the blame game. Do you know that game? We see it a lot during this time of the year. It's not my fault. It's their fault. And we've been playing that game since we could talk. The key to the game is to blame all your failures and all your sin and all your mistakes on someone else because it's their fault because you're falling short. If they would just get their act together, then your life would be okay. You all know this game. Some of you played it last night. Some of you played it on your way to church. You played it on your jobs because it's always your boss's fault. You played it in your relationships and spouses play it with each other because it's always the other spouse's fault for all your problems. And parents, do you have to teach your kids how to play this game? No. You got to teach them not how to play it. Because it comes natural to them to blame. It's not my fault. My daughter's good at it. Aren't you, baby girl? (laughs) And here's a revelation for all of us. It's probably not the other person's fault. It's probably the person you see in the mirror every day. Every day. 
the person you see every morning you get up and go brush your teeth in, in front of the mirror, the problem could be with you. This is what James tells us in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Faith places blame for our temptations in its proper place. And one of those places is with us. We are all personally responsible for our own sin, our own failures, our own mistakes. Each person is tempted to sin when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Wow. Your own desires can be used against you. Now, that doesn't mean all desires are bad. No, it does not mean that. But in this context, it's referring to those fleshly desires, our natural tendency towards sin. And this desire is a strong, lustful desire in your inner being. A desire for some object, a person, or thing, or experience. As one scholar says, is our evil impulse. I love that. And we all have that. Impulse, desire, that lures us, that entices us to sin. It tempts us. When a hunter goes hunting for his prey, what he must do first? He must figure out how to lure that prey out from his retreat and figure out how to entice that prey into his trap. And what does a hunter use to entice a prey? He uses bait. He must draw it out like a fisherman who places bait on the hook to entice fish. That's what your desires do to you, to me. They're hooks with bait on it in order to draw us out and entice us to sin. It does it by making sin look good, attractive, taste good. It's waving sin in your face. It woos you. Like a woman out of your league, she leads you on. That's what sin does. It leads you on. And now the desire in itself is not sin. It becomes sin when you give into an enticement. And in verse 15, James presents desire as a mother. I love this illustration. He, he shows it as a mother giving birth. As a mother giving birth, he says, the desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. He's saying desire, our desires are like a mother who is pregnant, getting ready to give birth. And she gives birth to her child, and her child is named sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. The child of sin and the grandchild of desire is consequences. Consequences. That's what he's talking about there. For all our sin, there are always consequences for that sin. One author says, everybody sooner or later sits down to a bank of the consequences. And he's right. Sin always gives birth to consequences, even for believers. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Faith does not blame God. It places the blame in its proper place, which could be the world, it could be Satan. But here, James is talking about 
us. The person I see in the mirror every day. For God is not the agent. My desire is the agent of my own temptation. Now, I know when at this point you're like, well, I understand temptation, but how does that fit in with trials? How, how can God be totally not in this? So what's the difference between the two? Trials are there to test your faith. They are sent in your life to test your faith so that you can have endurance. And the Father works through trials to strengthen you. Temptations are there to cause you to sin, to weaken you, to push you further from the Father. This is what one Christian says. You must come to the conclusion that according to the Bible, a trial constitutes the same at the same time a temptation. A temptation at the same time a trial. That is to say, any interaction, confrontation, externally with a specific person, word, action, event, or circumstance, or internally within your own makeup, which God plans as a trial, Satan exploits at the same time as a temptation. You understand what he's saying there? In other words, Satan and God enlist the same means at the same time in the same ways. What God always means for your good, Satan just as well means evil for you. Do you understand what he's saying? If you don't say no, I don't understand. Do you understand what I'm saying? God and Satan enlist the same means at the same time in the same way. What God always means for good for his children, Satan just as well always means for evil. For example, relationships are meant for good. But Satan, along with our sin, can take those same relationships and use them for evil. The trials that come up in marriage are meant for your good. To strengthen your faith, to strengthen your marriage. But the temptations that come up in marriage can weaken and destroy your marriage and your faith. You see, when God created, instituted marriage between Adam and Eve, he, there were roles in marriage. Each spouse has a role in the marriage. And I'm telling you, trials come along with those roles. To being a husband and to being a wife. They're hardships. But they're good for the marriage. Necessary for the marriage. The husband is called to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Which means he is to sacrifice for his wife. To lay his life down for his bride. To love her as himself. The wife is called to be the helpmate of her, her, her husband. To respect him. That includes respecting his role in the marriage as the head of house. These same roles that are meant for our good by the father can also be used for evil by the enemy. How? Because each spouse is tempted to either abuse their role or to abandon their role. When you do that, it damages the marriage. Husbands, you will be tempted to lord over your wife, making everything all about you. And you are in the process, you roll over her feelings and her desires. You throw them to the wayside. And your bulldozing over her will destroy her, destroy her from the inside out. You will either also be tempted to abandon your role as head of house. 
not providing any type of leadership at home. Husbands, listen carefully. In your marriage, you will either be an instrument that God uses to build up your bride and your queen or an enemy that Satan uses to destroy her, her self-worth and her dignity. Which are you today? Which will you be? And wives, come down from your high horse. Come talking to you too. You will be tempted to abuse your role through manipulation. Pretending to be a helpmate so you can get your way. You'll be attempting to abandon your role because you want your husband's role. I can lead this family better than him. You want to be the head of house. So you undermine his leadership and authority. Instead of respecting him, you'll be attempting to demean him. Wives, you'll either be an instrument that God uses for good to help your husband be the man God wants him to be, or you'll be an instrument of Satan to destroy his sense of manhood and self-worth and dignity. Which will you be? Which are you? You're one of them. So am I. I know this is scary, hard to hear, but it's a spiritual reality we all go through. All of life is both a trial and a temptation at the same time. Not just marriage. I use marriage because it's a very important relationship that we have for our society. But everything in life is that way. Satan and God enlist the same means at the same time in the same way. What God always means for good Satan just as well means for evil. That's the relationship. That's the difference between a trial and a temptation. And I hope each of you get it and you won't be deceived. James says in verse 16, do not be deceived, beloved brothers. Don't allow yourselves to be deceived. That's strong. What is he talking about there? He says, Don't allow yourself to be misled when it comes to understanding who God is, when it comes to understanding the faith, when it comes to understanding trials and temptations and who is at fault and who's not at fault. Don't wander from the truth and to believe a lie. Don't be misled. Don't be led astray. If you're in the midst of something hard right now and and you're blaming God That's not from the Father. That's from the enemy. That's from the enemy. And I know when you're in the midst of a trial and hardship or temptation, everything becomes foggy. I'm just going to be honest with you. Your view of God becomes foggy because you're hurting. You're struggling. And you don't know what to believe. But I'm here to tell you, he is still good. He is still faithful. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights. He is creator. Think about this. The the God who created the heavens and the earth. That's your dad. The baddest daddy ever to ever live. He created the heavens and the earth. We're just speaking it. And you don't think he can get you out of where you are 
You don't think he's going to come to your aid? He's going to come. He is the source of every good gift that has come into your life. And I ask you, look back over your life. Can any of you say, God has let me down? Can, you, can someone stand up and say that right now? Has God ever left you hanging? Has he ever not come? I know it can be hard right now, but he will come. You got to believe in how faith and the patience to wait on him to move. These gifts that he gives us, it's just not one gift. It's for the rest of your life. He is a benevolent God. It's in his nature. He doesn't change. James says there's no variation or shadow due to change with God. Like He is never out of balance in his character. He's not like us. He's not shady and wishy-washy. He's not. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's never at a crossroads with his character. He never has to go off on a retreat to do some self-evaluation. He knows who he is. He's God. He's not like us in that regard. He's always under control. That's who he is. No shifting shadow with him. He doesn't change. He's always consistent. And you know what you're going to get from him. You know what you can get from your daddy? Consistent fathering is what you're going to get from him all the days of your life. Consistent. And he doesn't treat his kids differently. He treats us all the same. He knows we're all but this. But he loves us the same. And you know the greatest gift that he has given us is expressed here in verse 18. It says, of his own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. That same language about birth is used here. Talking about you as a believer, that he birthed you through the word of truth, the gospel that points you to cross, that points you to Christ. The new birth, being born again. And he says, you are the father's first fruit. What do you think that means? What do you think that means? You are his most treasured possession. That's what that means. As one author says, his people are his first and the best of his produce. That's what it means. His first fruits. The first fruit of his redemptive harvest is his beloved sons and daughters whom he went to the cross for. How will he not also through Christ give us all things? The question is, do you have the faith to believe it? If you don't, go to the throne, people, and ask the Holy Spirit to help your unbelief. Let us pray. I believe, Father, but help my unbelief. I sometimes, or my circumstances sometimes dictate how I see you. And that never should be the case. And I pray for all of us that that we'll not let life dictate our view of our Father. That Scripture would do that for us. It would shape us. Shape our understanding of you. And you know where we all are this morning. You know what we're dealing with. You know what we're going through. And I pray, Lord, that, that we will be able to see your hand. That we'll be able to see your goodness and, and not question your goodness. 
clear out the fogginess, Lord. Spirit, we need you to speak truth into our life. I pray as we go out and engage the world this week that, that we will know that we are taken care of, that we will step out on faith and trust that our God will make a way in our marriages and our jobs and our kids and in our struggles, that you will not leave us hanging dry. And we need you, Spirit, to give us the faith to believe that. To believe that. That we are the first fruits of your harvest. Your most treasured possession. And you would take care of us, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Will you please stand as we